chapter 42 and verse 6. Psalm 42 and verse 6 and Joshua chapter 8 and verse 30. That's where we will be first. This is the fifth message that we've done on what the Bible shows us about mountains. Uh, The sermon series that I've done on this is Life's Many Mountains. And uh, we have been on a good number of mountains already. Uh, We have seen a lot of things that's happened on these mountains and what these these mountains uh, can maybe seem to represent. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's been a blessing uh, going through these mountains. I've really learned uh, a lot. Uh, in discussing what these mountains are and preaching on these, uh, it has been a blessing to me. I hope it has been to you as well. Uh, but Joshua chapter 8 and verse 30 is what we're going to look at here this evening. Let's read, uh, let's read a few verses here, uh, and then we will uh, get into uh, the message tonight. Notice the Bible says, verse 30, And Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, as as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, over which no man hath lift up any iron. And they offered thereon birth offerings unto the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests and Levites which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord as well as the stranger and he uh, that was born among them, half of them over against Mount Gezerim and half of them over against Mount Ebal as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law and the blessings and the cursings to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. Now we notice there in verses 30 to 35 we saw there were two mountains in play. We saw first, very first there in verse 30 Uh, we saw how God mentioned Mount Ebal. And then when you get down to verse 33, we saw how God uh, mentioned Mount Gezerim. Now these two mountains are very important, just like, of course, like all the other mountains are as well. These two mountains are very important. Now let's take a look at the very first one, Mount Ebal. We see, we, we notice there in the very first verse, the Bible says that Joshua built an altar unto the Lord, God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Well, Mount Ebal, uh, the name Mount Ebal, that has the idea of something that is, uh, it has the idea of bald or ruins or it has the idea of something that is dry, lifeless, unfruitful, hard, desolate. That's what, uh, that's what Ebal means. Uh, and so we see that whenever God uh, brought his people through this area, uh, and they had already fought Jericho, they had already fought uh, the little place of Ai, And now here they are, they are uh, entering into the promised land. Shechem is right there in the middle. And so as they are entering in, they are getting ready to enter through and fight all their battles and God's fixing to bless them with their inheritances and all of that. But before they go in there, 
before they receive their inheritance, before they do all these things, there is something that, that they have to do before they go in. And Moses told them a long time ago, years back, before, whenever they uh, didn't want to go in there, when God said, go on in there and I'll bless you, I'll be in front of you, but they didn't, they turned away. And so, and so Moses told them, he said, listen, before you go in there, there's something that you're going to have to do. And so these two mountains right here that we're going to look at tonight are mountains of decision. Mountains of decision. That'll be the spiritual meaning of these two mountains. You say, well, what is it that we have to decide? Now, I want you to notice there in those five verses, we talked about two mountains. We talked about Mount Ebal and we saw Mount Gezerim. And well, the purpose of this is the purpose of that is this because when these folks, when they got to this point, and as I said there, when they got to this point, there was a mountain on this side. This is Mount Ebal, and then right directly across from it is Mount Gezerim. And so both of these mountains look at each other, and right there in the middle is a valley. And so right in this valley right here, there's a road that runs right between. And so as they, what they would do is, is they would walk down this road right here, and they'd make it to Shechem, and then they would go down there, and they would fight all the battles, and then God would bless them all with their inheritance. But before they got to that point, before they got to that point, they gathered on these two mountains. And it was a very, very, uh, very unique, uh, very unique thing that God did. A very tremendous uh, illustration, visual illustration that God gave His people. Now we look, we see Mount Ebal over here on this side. And Mount Ebal, it was on the very top, the very top of that mountain, it was very rocky. You know, it was, that's, why the, that's why it has the idea of bald, because there was nothing there. You know, it was nothing growing up there. So it has the idea of bald, or it has the idea of, of lifeless, you know. And so the idea is this, is, and, then on, and then on this side, on this side you see Mount Gezerim. But the mountain that looked at Ebal, Mount Gezerim over here, it had the idea of, of fruitfulness and blessing and praise, and that's what this mountain over here was. And so when God told them, He says, before you go into the promised land over here and receive your inheritance, there's something I want you to do. I want you to take all your people and I want you to spread them out across these mountains. I want some of your people to get over here on Mount Gezerim and I want the other people to get over here on Mount Ebal and I'm going to do a visual lesson for you before you go in. And so that's why we see here, there in, very, in the very first verse, I want you to notice uh, what we see. Notice the Bible says Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God. Where did he build this altar at? Do you see where he built the altar at? He built the altar on Mount Ebal. So why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because Mount Ebal was a place that means lifeless. It was a place that means ruin. It was a place that, uh, that, that has the idea of dry and barren. Uh, it also carried, carries with it the idea of, of uh, even uh, of sin. And so we see here that if they was going to build an, an altar before they go in, where would they need to build the altar at? They'll need to build the altar on the mountain that symbolized sin. They'll need to build the altar on the mountain that symbolized fruitlessness and dryness and all of that uh, because it would be on that mountain that they would offer their sacrifices to the Lord. Amen. On the mountain that is cursed. You have a mountain of blessing over here and you have a mountain of cursing over here. And so if you want to be blessed, then you need to remember that you are not perfect. You are a sinner. That, uh, that, that, if, you, that if you decide to live this way, this is the kind of life that you're going to have. And all the people that stood over here could look at it. And all the people that were standing in sin on this mountain, they could see it. And God gave them a visual interpretation. God gave them 
him a, a visual illustration, had him stand right there and says, listen, this mountain right here is a blessing of cursing. And if you want to live this way and you want to go your own direction, you want to serve the world and these false gods and, and you want to do what you want to do, then this is the kind of life that you're going to have. But if you want to be blessed and, and, you want to, and you want to follow me and you want to follow my commands and you want to do what I tell you to do, then this is the life that you can have. And this land, this mountain over here was green. It was grassy. It was fruitful. It was, it was a, a, a place that looked really nice. And so God was saying, listen, this is the two lives that you can choose. Isn't that pretty amazing? These are the two lives that you can choose. You can go this way or you can go this way and you need to make a decision before you go in. Make a decision before you go in. A mountain of decision. And so, uh, and so he built an altar. Joshua built an altar on the mountain of cursing. Because on that mountain of cursing, that would, they, would, uh, they would lay their sacrifices on there. And that mountain of cursing would be symbolic of showing them that, hey, listen, uh, if we, we understand that we're not perfect. We understand that we're sinners. And if we want to have a life of blessing, then we're going to have to, we're going to have to ask forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. And so that was what that was all about. That's why he built the altar on Mount Ebal. Because Mount Ebal symbolized uh, a life of a life of cursing, a life of emptiness, a life of dryness, a life that was barren. And so notice what happens. You look on down, look at verse 31. The Bible says, As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. See, they did everything to what Moses told them to do. And he says, an altar, watch this, an altar of whole stones. These, 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 they, you say, wow, what are whole stones? Whole stones are rocks that they haven't picked up their hammers to. That's what whole stones are. It even says it right there in the Bible. In the Bible, it's on its best, uh, its best interpreter. And he says, over which no man have lift up any iron. And so the Bible shows us right here, you're going, what you're going to do is you're going to build an altar right here on this mount of cursing. You're going to build an altar right there. And what you're going to do is, is you're going to use whole stones. Build this altar out of stones that man hasn't touched that man hasn't tried to improve, that man hasn't uh, 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 had anything to do with. You just go find the stones and you build this altar out of whole stones. You say, well, what's the significance of that? Because every time man tries to add something to what God's doing, he messes it up. Amen. Every time man tries to lift up his hand to try to make some kind of improvement or to try to do it his way or any time man tries to do anything he can to add to what God's doing, he doesn't do anything but mess it up and defile it and ruin it. And so he says, I don't want you to build this altar out of something that you've built, out of something that you've hammered and something that you've made. He said, I want you to build this altar out of whole stones, things that I've made. Let it be holy. Let it be holy. And so it says, you take whole stones, you build this altar, and on this altar, in this place of cursing, you offer sacrifices. And notice that's what they did. The Bible says, and they offered their own burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Now the Bible says when we get saved, that we are reconciled to God, and now we have peace with God. Peace with God. Not only when we get saved do we have the peace of God, we have the peace with God. See, first you get peace with first you get peace uh, with God, then you get the peace of God. Because see, before uh, before I got saved, I was an enemy of God. Me and my Father in heaven were not reconciled. And so, what we see here is they offer not only not only sacrifices, blood offerings, sacrifice offerings, but they're also offering peace offerings. 
peace offerings. And they're doing that on the Mount of Cursing. And so we see uh, this, uh, these, this, this great illustration that God uses to talk to his people about this promise that they need, about this, this, prom- this decision that they need to make before they go on and live their life that God would have them to live. And that's what we have to do every day. We wake up in the morning and there's a mountain of decision. We look over here, there's a mountain of cursing. We look over here and there's a mountain of blessing. And we decide when we start the day which path we're going to take. Which path we're going to take. A mountain of cursing or a mountain of blessing. If you live this way, this is what you're going to get. If you live this way, this is what you're going to get. Uh, And so God showed them. What a tremendous Bible illustration there that God gave them as they went in. And so before we get to our uh, next mountain tonight, what mountain are you living on? Are you living on Mount Ebal, which has the idea of bald and ruined and unfruitful and dry and hard and desolate? Or are you living on Mount Gezerim? You know what Gezerim means? Gezerim means cut off one or separated. Now, if you're living and if you're walking with God and you're living for God, isn't that a separated life? That's what Gezerim means. Cut off ones or separated Now, if you're walking with God and you're living for God and you're obeying God's commands, then you are living a separated life because that's what God called us to live. Amen? Yeah, he says, come out from among them, the world, and be you separate. And so as we analyze ourselves tonight, as we examine ourselves, am I walking with the Lord? Am I obeying his commands? uh, Do I want a blessed life? Do I desire a fruitful, blessed life? Am I going to live separated or am I going to live this kind of life? Am I going to live on Mount Evil? Am I going to be dry and barren and hard and ruined? And what am I going to do? Well, in order for you to be blessed, one of the things you're going to have to do is when you're on this mountain, you're going to have to make sure that this, this mountain right here is going to remind you that you're not perfect and that you need to ask for forgiveness. Amen. All right. What a great, what a great, uh, what a great lesson there. I'll tell you what, I was so excited to give you all that tonight. I was just, I mean, I was jumping for joy. I couldn't wait to get here this evening. All right, now let's go to our next mountain because I'm extremely excited about it too. I'm kind of beside myself about it. Uh, and so let's get into it. Uh, Psalm chapter 42. I want you to see it, man. I'll tell you what is great. I hope I can get it all to you this evening. Psalm chapter 42, and let's look at verses uh, 6 and 8. And a couple other places that we might go uh, that, have to, that maybe have to deal with this a little bit uh, if we have time. But Psalm chapter 42 and let's take a look at uh, verses 6 and 8. We're going to actually see two mountains in verse, in verse 6. Two mountains in verse 6. I've done a lot of study on this, and I think you'll be blessed by it. Notice what the Bible says as we look at our second mountain tonight. The Bible says there, he says, Oh my, now this is the psalmist, and he's, uh, he is in distress. And there in verse 6, notice he says, He says, Oh my God, my soul cast down is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Uh, Those are two mountains, Hermon and Mizar, two mountains. There in verse 7, Deep calleth deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. And so now as we look here tonight, I want us to see there in verse 6, very interesting things. Now, uh, we're, gonna, we're looking at Mount Hermon first. That's going to be the, the biggest thing we're going to look at tonight. Now, Mount Hermon.
Hermon is symbolized there with Hermonites. I'll get to you a little bit more about that in a minute. But we're looking at Mount Hermon right now. And what, is Mount, what does Hermon mean? Well, Hermon has the idea of sacred. That's what it means. It has the idea of, of uh, something that is sacred. Uh, it also means to be the chief. Sacred or to be the chief. And we see there in verse 6 something very interesting. The Bible shows us there in verse 6 that the psalmist is in distress. I mean, it's it's like his world is falling apart. He doesn't know what in the world is going to happen next. And in his distress, there are three things there in verse 6 that he says he'll remember. And he is going to be, and he's obviously going to be very blessed by these three things that he's going to remember here in verse 6. And so as he remembers these things in his distress, the Bible shows us that, his, uh, that he cast all his thoughts on the Lord. Notice the Bible says in verse 6, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee. So whenever he started feeling bad and his world was falling apart and he didn't understand and, and man it seemed like the whole world was, uh, was against him, what did he do? He remembered him. He remembered him. He said, my soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee. He cast all his thoughts, all his cares upon the Lord. Hey, isn't that what God said? Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And so he cast all his cares, he cast all his thoughts upon the Lord. He says, in this situation that I'm in, there's one thing I'm going to do. And that one thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to remember you. And there's three things he said I'm going to remember about you. These three things in verse 6, he says, I'm going to remember about you. Notice number one. One of the very first things that he said that he was going to remember was he said, I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember the land of Jordan. You say, what does that mean? When in his distress, while, while he is here and his world's falling apart and, 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 and he and he's, uh, doesn't know what to do and, you know, he's hit roadblocks and, you know, and he's being hindered or whatever, uh, what, why is he remembering the land of Jordan? Because when he began to remember the land of Jordan, one of the things that came to his mind uh, was how when God's people crossed over into the land of Jordan, that whenever they got to the Jordan River, that the Ark of the Covenant went on ahead before them and the waters separated. The waters parted, just like they did at the Red Sea. And he says, you know what, God, even in the midst of this situation that I'm in, when I am facing roadblocks and and I am looking at things that that I I don't have no power of and I don't know which way to go and know where to turn and and, and, and my soul is cast down within me, you know, and, 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 and I'm crying and I'm in sorrow and I don't know what to do. He says, in the midst of this, there's one thing that I will do. He says, when I get like this, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to remember what you did in the land of Jordan. I'm going to remember how when the, when the Ark of the Covenant, when the priest's feet touched the water, there at the, when the Ark of the Covenant, when they were holding the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, when their feet touched the water, how the Jordan River separated just like it did at the Red Sea. And how even though we didn't have a way, and then even though we couldn't get across on, on our own, that God, you separated that hindrance. You moved that roadblock out of the way and allowed us to move forward. Allowed us to move forward. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't that exciting? Man, that should, man, that should fire you up right there, man. If you, if you start feeling bad and you start wondering how things are going to go and, and, you see th- and you see this, I mean, all of us have been right here tonight where the psalmist is and one of the things that we have to do when we get in this position when our soul feels cast down within us is put our thoughts and cares upon God and remember the things that he has done before. Remember what he's done in the past. And because if he can do it in the past, he can do it now and he can do it later. 
later. And so the Bible shows right here, he says, I'll remember the land of Jordan. I'm going to remember in, in, in all of my distress and all that I was going through, how you parted the waters and provided a way. Wow, that's tremendous. Second thing, he says, not only am I going to remember the land of Jordan, but he says, I'm going to remember the land of the Hermonites. You see that? The land of Jordan and of the Hermonites. You say, why is he going to remember the land of the Hermonites? Because the land of the Hermonites is where, how many have ever heard of King Sihon and Og of Bashan that Moses fought? Remember those guys? These guys that were real big, I mean, it was said that Og of Bashan, he even told us how big he was. He told, told us how much his bed weighed, told us, how, told us how long his bed was. I mean, this guy could have been maybe 13 feet tall, maybe somewhere between 9 and 13 feet. I mean, he was a big guy. He was part of the land of the giants that the people were facing. And he says, I'm going to remember the Hermonites when I get in this position in my life. And you say, why is that so significant? Because God gave his people victory over these giants. He gave them victory over these giants. And whenever they faced these giants and they looked at these giants and they probably thought themselves, just like they did, when they, just like they, they thought whenever they didn't go into the promised land like God told them to the first time. We were as grasshoppers in their sight. How can we fight such an enemy? How we have no power of such an enemy? God says, I'll go on before you. But they were so afraid. Moses took them in there. God went on before them. God fought for them. And they, they, destroyed, the, uh, they destroyed both of those kings right there. And God gave them the victory over the giants that they faced. And he says, when I get in this position in my life, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to remember I'm going to remember how you remove those hindrances out of the way. I'm going to remember how you provided a way. But I'm also going to remember how you gave us victory when we faced these giants and we wasn't sure what we were going to do, how we put all of our faith and trust in you and you gave us victory over these giants that we faced. Man, isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? And so now let's take a look at the next one. Notice this. He says there in verse 6. He says, not only the land of the Hermonites I'm going to remember, but he says... From the hill Mizar. Now, what is Mizar? Mizar is the other mountain, actually. Hermon's the one we're going to look at here in just a second. Mizar. Uh, this is the only place in the scriptures where this mountain is even mentioned. Um, Mount Mizar. Uh, the only place in the Bible where this mountain is mentioned. This uh, Mizar means a small place or a small thing. That's what Mizar means. And so what the psalmist is showing us is he says, you know what, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember. Uh, despite what position that I am in here, despite what, uh, where I'm at in my life, in this small place that I am, that I am in, I'm not up real high, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm down low, but despite where I'm at, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember because what did, what did Herman mean? Herman meant sacred mountain, but it also meant chief mountain. Chief. And so there in one verse, he says, God, when I'm in this position in my life, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remember that even though I may be in my czar, even though I'm cast down, and even though this is where I am right now, I'm going to remember that you're also the, the God of the Hermonites. I'm going to remember that you're the, you're the God of the chief mountain and you're everything in between. And even though I'm cast down, you're here. And even though and that you're the God of the hills, you're the God of the mountains, and you're the God of the valley. And everything in between. 
And no matter who I am, even though I'm small and I'm insignificant and I don't have no strength and I don't have no power, even though I'm cast down, God, I'm going to, I remember who you are, that, that you are the God of the chiefest of the mountains, the God of the mountains, and you are also the God of the smallest ones, the God of the valleys, and you are the God of everything in between. Yeah, that's good stuff. I don't care who you are. That's awesome. And the Bible says, notice he says, and the Hermonites from the hill Mazar, verse 7, deep calleth unto deep. At the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and all thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the Lord of my life. And so because Mount Hermon is the chief mountain and this, the sacred mountain that is higher than all the other mountains. Because of that, it was known as a place of beauty. It was known as a place that you can go up there and you can see everything. I've been hiking on some, on some nice mountains and I'll tell you what, I've been up there and I've, and I've stood on top of these mountains and I've looked around and you can, and the beauty is amazing. When you get up on top of some of those mountains, you can look out across God's creation. And you see how beautiful it is. And he says, you know, he says, you know, God, when I get in this situation in my life, when I get in this kind of predicament, what I'm going to remember is this, that you're the God of the chief mountain. That you are, and that up on that mountain is, is beauty, and up on that mountain is praise, and up on that mountain is worship, and up on that mountain are great things. But he says, you know what, from that, from the top of there, all the way down to the bottom. He says, when I get down here to Mizar, and I'm in this small place, and I'm in this valley, he says, I'm going to remember the night, I'm going to remember, notice what he says in verse 8. I'm going to remember his song. Talking about God's song. I'm going to remember his song. His, the night, in, in the night, that means in the darkest part of my life, in the darkest moments, Lord, he says, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, in the, in the, when things are good, when things are bright, when things are nice, and in the night when things are dark and things are not so understandable, he says, when I get in this position, I'm going to remember your song, and your song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. Man, that's great. I'm thankful that that's my God tonight. That's the God I serve. And no matter if it's daytime or nighttime, no matter if I'm on, if I'm on the mountain, I'm in the valley, no matter if I'm on a big mountain, a little mountain, I serve, I serve the God that's, all, that's the God of all of it and everything in between. And the Bible shows us that no matter where we're at in our life, these two mountains show us that no matter where you're at in your life, that you can praise Him. Mount Hermon is also very interesting because of this. Mount Hermon was real tall roughly close to around 10,000 feet, 9,000 some feet, close to 10,000 feet. And as I studied, I found out that no matter where you are in the area of Palestine and in that area, no matter where you were at, if you looked north, you'd always see, you would always see the chief mountain. No matter where you were at in Palestine, no matter where you were at in that vicinity, if you looked north, you would always see Mount Hermon. 
And Mount Hermon was right there. Mount Hermon, it was like it just oversaw and overlooked everything. That's why it was called the chief mountain because it was higher and, 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 and because it could be seen from every direction. And no matter where you were, you could see this mountain. And just like our Lord, no matter where we're at in our land, we can always look north. No matter where we're at in our life, we can always look to the chief mountain. You say, why do you say we can always look to the chief mountain? Because I found out some other interesting things about this mountain. If you'll notice there in Psalm chapter 42, verse 6, right here, you'll notice that he says, we will remember the land of the Hermonites. He didn't say the, the Mount of Hermon or Mount Hermon. He said the land of the Hermonites. He said, well, I wonder what he called it that. Because Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon, get this, you're going to love it. Mount Hermon has three summits. Three summits. Each summit is a quarter mile away from each other in a perfect triangle. Perfect triangle. And no matter where you were, no matter where you were in Palestine, in that area, if you looked, you could see the summits. It's almost like God on the chief mountain looking down over everybody all the time. And no matter where you looked, he was there. That's, that's part of the omnipresence of our God. He can see everything. He knows everything. He can see everything. And so there were three summits and, and, and they were in a triangle and they were a quarter of a mile apart from each other. Tremendous. And that's significant because I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And I want you to look, verse 1. Matthew 17, verse 1. And I want you to notice what happens. I'm going to throw some things out here at you that I think you'll enjoy. Now watch this. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Notice the Bible says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother. So it's Jesus and the three. Not all the disciples, just Jesus and the three. And bringeth them up into a, somebody tell me, a high mountain. Now the scholars that I was reading after and, and, and the information that I was trying to read up on and studying on, they all believe that this high mountain, this high mountain was Mount Hermon. Was Mount Hermon. And there was something special that happened on this chief mountain. Something tremendous that happened on this chief mountain. And I think that's, I think what we're fixing to read is the reason why it took place up there. Now watch it. Very interesting what happened. The Bible shows us here, verse 2. Now verse 1, let's go back to it. James and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain, apart, means alone, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here, somebody tell me how many? Three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am 
well pleased. Now when we read these verses, we notice that they went to this mountain. And when they got to this mountain, we see that it was only Jesus and three of his disciples that went. The Bible says it was a high mountain. And they believed that this was Mount Hermon based on the location of where Christ was at the time. And because it was a high mountain, because it was so great, if not, it had been on a smaller mountain. But he said a high mountain described it of how big it was. And because Mount Hermon was the chief mountain, that's where it speculated that the transfiguration took place. And so as he was up there on this sacred mountain, on this chief mountain, it was there on this transfiguration that he showed these men that he wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. It was up on this chief mountain, up on this sacred mountain, that he showed these men that I'm not just flesh and bone. I'm not just a man, but I am God. I am God. And notice what else happens. On this mountain, there were two, two men that appeared. Jesus was up there, and then notice there in verse 3. The Bible says, And there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And I want you to notice something very interesting. Because now here we are on Mount Hermon. We're up here on this mountain that, that's, that has three summits, each peak. Has three peaks, and they're all a quarter mile away from each other and in a triangle. And the Lord Jesus ascends with, these three, with his three disciples up on top of one of these summits. And when he gets on top of one of those summits, lo and behold, Moses and Elijah show up. And so when he gets up there, what we see is this. You see, Moses, who represents what? Represents the law. You see, Elijah, who represents what? The prophets. And now you see Christ, who represents what? The new covenant, the age of grace. Amen. The new covenant. And Moses pointed to Christ the prophets, Elijah, pointed to Christ. And what God was showing them was, listen, you believe Moses, you believe the prophets, they're talking about my beloved son. They're talking about my son. You believe them, you believe them. What did the Bible say in the text? Hear you him. Hear him. You've been listening to him. You heard what Moses said. You heard what the prophets said. Now hear what my son has to say what my son has to say and God connected all three of them together up on that up on the Mount Hermon and so I began to wonder I began to think and I thought I wonder if everyone if these three summits represent overlooking just think about it, overlooking the whole land represents the law and the prophets and the new covenant overlooking the whole land all connected together. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that pretty neat? Not only that, but I want you to see this. And then we'll close. Notice there in verse 5. Jesus was speaking. And the Bible says that while he spake, so we see he there is the Lord Jesus. While he spake, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now in the Bible, a crowd is representative of glory. 
glory. Let me, let me just, and I'm just throwing this out there. Just maybe, maybe not. But I'm just throwing it out there. Now, a cloud represents glory. What does the Holy Spirit always do? He always points glory to the Lord Jesus. He points glory. He glorifies the Son. The Holy Spirit doesn't glorify Himself. He glorifies the Son. And so we see Jesus is speaking, and while He's speaking, this bright cloud, the Bible says a bright cloud, this bright cloud comes down and, and overshadows them, like the Holy Spirit of God coming down and overshadowing them, pointing to the glory of the Lord, because the Lord Jesus is shining as bright as the sun, transfigured in front of them. He's shining as bright as the sun, and then this cloud comes down, surrounds them. Makes me wonder. We see Jesus. It makes me want that cloud. It's like a representation or, or kind of symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God pointing to who all glory goes to. And then you see God the Father speak. And He says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And it makes me wonder if I can see the whole Trinity right there. You can't, have, you can't, you can't get one and not get them all anyways. Amen. So then we got to thinking, well, I wonder if those summits not only represent, could represent the law and the prophets and the new covenant, but I wonder if those three summits there in that triangle, a quarter mile apart from each other, represent the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to give you this one last thing. I told you I was going to give you only one more, but I lied. I'm going to give you one more. After this, I promise we'll go home. I won't lie to you anymore. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4. I want you to look at verse 8. Matthew chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 8. Now, as we go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, you see Jesus, he's being tempted by the devil. He's done been tempted twice. And you get there to verse 8. And notice the Bible says, and again, again, the devil taketh him, talking about Jesus, taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. An exceeding high mountain. Now the Bible's silent on the name. There is no name, there is no location. So I can't say for sure if this was Mount Hermon. But when I understand that Mount Hermon is the chief mountain, and I understand that Mount Hermon was the tallest mountain there in that area, and the Bible says that, that the devil took Jesus up to an exceeding high mountain. Mount Hermon comes to my mind. And it makes me wonder if the devil took Christ up to Mount Hermon, to the top of Mount Hermon. And when he got up to the top of Mount Hermon, what did he do? The Bible says they got up there when they got up to the top of the mountain. The Bible says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, could you do that from a small mountain? No. You couldn't have done that from the other smaller mountains that were around the area. But if you went on top of Mount Hermon, you can see all the cities. You can see all the villages, not all the way around the world. But you get up there and you can see the towns and villages and cities everywhere. Another reason why I believe it might be Mount Hermon, because when you look at the other two temptations, they were localized. Jesus was there in the wilderness. And the devil tempted him with the bread, and Jesus fought him back with the word of God. And then what did the devil do? The devil took him up to the top of the temple which was also localized. And the, and the Lord Jesus defeated him with the word of God. 
And so then the devil takes him up to an exceeding high mountain, which I believe could possibly be Mount Hermon, and takes him up there. And the Lord Jesus defeats him with the word of God. And I begin to wonder in my mind, as the devil took him up there and he saw the whole world, could it be that Satan, as he took Christ to the top of this mountain, that maybe possibly could represent the Trinity and, and the Word of God, Moses, Elijah, and the New Covenant, when, it, when he got up to the top and he took him up there and he told Jesus, he says, I'll give you all this if you'll bow down and worship me. Now how more blasphemous could it have been for him to do that on a mountain that symbolized the Trinity and the Word of God and the law and the prophets and the New Covenant? If he would have said, uh, I, uh, if he would have said, you know, you, you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Don't worry about the law and the prophets and how blasphemous, how much more blasphemous would that be for the devil to ask Christ to give up all of that on his mountain to bow down and worship him. That's something to think about. That's something to think about. Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. And the devil tried to bargain with the Lord on top of this mountain. And as I began to think about it, I said, you know what? On life's many mountains, the devil's going to do everything he can to bargain with us on these mountains. He's going to do everything he can to sidetrack you. He's going to do everything he can to distract you. And as you're going up this mountain or wondering what you need to do about this mountain, whatever mountain you're on, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what mountain you're on. If you're on, a, if you're on a good mountain, a mountain of blessing, the devil's going to come by and he's going to try to offer you some kind of compromise or, or try to give you stirred off in a different direction so you're no longer blessed. Amen. If you're on the mountain of cursing, the devil's going to do everything he can to bring you something by so that you will stay in the cursed land so that you don't go in this direction. If you're on the mountain of victory, the devil's going to do everything he can to bring you down from that mountain. And if you're down in the valley, he's going to do everything he can to keep you from going up. So it doesn't matter what mountain you're on. The devil will do everything he can to sidetrack us in any way, in any way, to bargain. So as you think about the mountains that you're on tonight, whatever mountain you're on, you just ask yourself and just remember, that the devil do everything he can to tempt me, to get me off of where I'm at, to get me distracted. And it's not worth eternity. It's not worth eternity. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight. I thank you so much, Lord, for all that I have learned. God, studying your mountains. And Lord, what a blessing it's been to me. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we travel on life's many mountains. Lord, so many different types of mountains that we face. Mountains of blessings, mountains of cursings, mountains of decisions. Lord, all kinds of mountains. Ask God you to help us this evening. As we, before we go out these doors tonight, to decide within ourselves, do I want to live a life of blessing? Or do I want to live a life of cursing? Am I going to follow the Lord? Walk with Him? Am I going to keep going in my own direction? God, I pray You'd help us tonight. Do all we can to bring You glory. 
Lord, as we leave here this evening, I pray you'd keep us safe. Bring us back here to our next appointed time on Sunday. And we love you and thank you for all we know you're going to do in this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.